Give it up for that, huh? Let's, uh, let's give God the glory. Can you do that? Well, I got to tell you, I'm sporting these new shoes. Can you see them? Okay, let's get the camera on those. Can you get the camera on those? I can't stand here forever. Are you kidding me? There we go. Got them? Okay, they say influence church on them. Now, I got to tell you the best story. So I take a picture of these. I put them on Facebook. It gets 800 likes in like 24 hours. I put my sermon up, I get 100. I, I'm thinking, you know, maybe what I should do is start selling shoes instead of preaching sermons. I don't know. But anyway, good to see you today. I hope uh, God's working in your life in some amazing ways to, to really just kind of hone in on what needs to be honed in on. You know what I'm talking about? The stuff you don't talk about, the Spirit does. Oh, it got quiet. The stuff you don't talk about, the Spirit of God does. What He does, He brings to your conscious memory the stuff you try to ignore that takes you outside of the things that He wants to bless you for and in. So what you do is you walk in your life of typical kind of, let's say, normal Christianity, your version of it, but the Spirit of God is always trying to get your attention. And you go, no, not, not now, God. I mean, I'm too busy being a Christian. You know what I'm talking about? There's something God wants to do in your life, and he can't do it unless you heed what the Spirit of God is saying to you. So you have to step back long enough out of your, the voices in your head that's you trying to convince you that you love Jesus and listen to what the Spirit of God says, here's how you really can love me. The disciples have been with Jesus for some time, and he looks at them and he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. He's been watching them. He's like the chaperone on the beach party. He's been watching the guys when they get out of line. He goes, wait a minute, Peter, come over here, let me tell you this. And he says, if you love me, well, what do you mean if we love you? We've left everything for you, Jesus. We've given up our homes. We've given up our jobs. We've given up everything to follow you. What do you mean if you love us? Oh, he took and he looked deep into their hearts. And I'm going to ask you right now just to think about this. What is it the Spirit of God is saying to you that if you would just give that up or do this or live this way, you know it would take you to the next spiritual level? Why don't we go there? Why don't you go there? What do you think is going to happen if you get fanatical for Jesus? You know, in studying the Word of God, I, there's a couple of things that really come to the forefront. Here's the first one. Jesus was extremely simple in his approach. Was he not? He's walking along and he says, uh, hey, do you want to follow me? Come and be a fisher of men. And they drop their nets and they follow him. And I'm going, really? How did that happen? How in the world did that happen? There was something about being in the presence of Jesus that was transformational and irresistibly attractive to those disciples. And he's the same way today. When you really, really get close to him, have you noticed how easy it is to follow him? And when you're not living for him, have you noticed how hard it is to follow him? How much you get involved in your stuff instead of his stuff? Here's another thing. Religion is very complicated. Would you all agree? 
Nod your heads, look like you're alive. Yeah, I agree. Religion is very complicated. Let's say it together. Religion is very what? Complicated. They even invent words to describe what we do in religion. There's a word that's called sacerdotalism. I love that word. You know what it means? It was invented to try to describe the distance, because there was a distance in this theology, between the priest and the people. The priests were sacerdotal. They were separated, and they were above, and they, you know, and you go, really? And then you go, and you, you have all this complicated kind of rules and catechisms and different things you have to go through, and here's Jesus. He's got no sacerdotalism. He's got no no catechism. He just says, hey, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. You see, following Jesus is supposed to be simple. It's supposed to be about your heart following him. Here's another thing. Life is both simple and complicated. Would you agree with that? How many times have you said or heard someone say, man, why does life have to be so complicated? Anybody ever said that? Raise your hand. This is how I keep you awake every Sunday morning. You do a little, little spiritual aerobics, kind of keep it going. Things are moving. Okay. You know life is complicated. You say, if I could just get this off my plate, my life would be so much simpler, right? Okay, we're not trying to deny life is complicated. What we're trying to do is move us in a direction where we find more presence, more power with God. Now, the sermon today is called, Was Jesus PC? No, he was a Mac guy. Huh? Give it up for Mac. Come on. No, was Jesus politically correct? Now, imagine Jesus if he were living today. He'd be walking this straight little line, and he'd be saying, Oh, uh, uh, thou shalt not offend thee. Would he say that? He looked at the Pharisees and says, You know, guys, you're like whitewashed tombs, and you're like, uh, you know, you're like uh, dead sepulchers. I mean, you are, you know, a brood of vipers, and you're going, That was Jesus? Oh, he was pretty straightforward when it came to talking to the religious. It was the people that weren't super religious and super pious. You ever been around the super pious? If you don't believe they're pious, just ask them. Are you pious? Oh, I am pious. I love Jesus. I love God. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. That's kind of the motto, right? Some of you go, you know, I go to movies outside of where I live just because I don't want somebody to see me. And they're not even bad movies. You just got to watch out because it's amazing how Pharisees can just pop up in a movie theater. They don't even eat popcorn in movie theaters. Well, there's a high school uh, valedictorian that was given his speech three weeks in advance for approval by the high school. And the high school had to approve it. And as they approved it, they gave him all the suggestions and all the things he had to do because he had to limit what he said. And prior to that, they had passed a law in that school district that you could not pray anymore at graduations in this public school. Well, this guy, Ray Costner, at Liberty High School, stood in front of that high school graduation class with all the officials sitting behind him. He picked up his speech and he began to tear it into pieces. And then he began to recite the Lord's Prayer. Let's watch the video. Those that we look up to, they have helped carve and mold us into the young adults that we are today. I'm so thankful that both my parents led me to the Lord at a young age. 
And I think most of you will understand when I say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Amen. Don't you love that boldness? You know what I loved? I loved how everybody was excited and cheering, and all the school officials had their heads down like a bunch of hens. I'm looking at this going, are you kidding me? At least look at the guy, get up and get mad or do something. You know what I like about that? I like about he had a holy boldness for Jesus that was transformational. This guy has been on Fox News. He's been on the Huffington Post. He's been, he's been everywhere because he took a stand for Jesus Christ. And we go, well, I don't want to take a stand because somebody might not like it. They didn't like Jesus. Did you just figure that one out? They didn't like him so much that they put him on a cross and that wasn't enough. They humiliated him and they stripped him down to nothing. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They plunged a spear into his side because they hated him so much because he stood for God. When are we going to wake up and stand for God? This is not about normal Christianity, whatever that is. Let me take you through Scripture now, now that we've got the introduction out of the way. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 34, and let's, uh, let's just pick up the story there and we'll comment as we go and we'll come back to it. It says here, when they had crossed over, they came to the land of the Gennesaret, and when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all the surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick. Now I want you to see. They've crossed over. People said, that's him. They spread the word, and they said, bring them all over here. Get the word out, all, wherever you go. Because you see, when Jesus shows up, something's going to happen. So they spread the word, and it says, uh, they brought to him all who were sick, and they begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched it were made perfectly well. Now, what's really interesting is, and I'll come back to this, touching the hem of the garment wasn't just about grabbing onto his clothes. It was a prophetic fulfillment of Malachi chapter 4, and we're going to go there in a few minutes. This was more than just something you go, oh, isn't that interesting? They just wanted to get close enough to do this. No, they understood the Old Testament, they understood prophecy, and they were going to tie into what God had promised through the, through the prophet Malachi 400 years before that. Now, I want you to take your Bibles or take some notes somewhere and just circle the word when. It's used twice there in chapter 14 in those few verses. When they had crossed over, and then it says, and when the men of that place recognized him. Because when and then are going to become important in your life and in this story. Now, let's go on chapter 15, verse 1. Then, notice what happens. He's just healed some people. and It says, then the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem... They have been following him. This is a delegation. They're from Jerusalem, and they said, why do, the, why do your disciples transgress the tradition 
of the elders. Why aren't they doing what the elders, what the religious people say to do? We want to know the answer. And look what it says here in the Scripture. For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Now, I know parents are probably going, see, I told you you're supposed to eat, wash your hands before you, you have dinner. That's not what it's talking about. This was about a ceremonial cleansing. This was about something that was far removed from having lunch. This was something that was not in the Bible. This is something that was a part of their tradition. Now, not all traditions are bad. But traditions, when they obscure the word of God or when they keep you from Jesus, are horrible. Amen? Amen. So traditions have become traditionalism, and then they damn the soul. They eat us alive. So notice what it says here in the Scripture. And he answered them and said, notice, I love Jesus never answers questions. You ever notice that? He just says, let me ask you a question, or he makes a statement. He says this. Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your traditions? In other words, you're so concerned about tradition, you're not concerned about the word of God. I remember I led this guy to Christ one time, and and he told me, he said, okay, what do I do now? And I says, well, you're going to start reading the Bible. And he said, okay, when I get done with that, what do I do? And he thought, you know, if I just read the Bible, I've got it all figured out. I say, tell you what, you read it all, master everything in it, you come see me and I'll give you another assignment. (laughs) Right? I mean, it looks like a thin book. That's only because they have thin pages. That's why they do that. You know, because they want to convince you to read it. Because if they put regular thick pages in there, it'd be like this big and you'd never read it. Thin pages trick you into reading the Bible, amen? (laughs) You never thought about that, did you? All right, that's why they're thin. You get stuff here you don't get anywhere else. (laughs) Okay, now look what it says, verse 4. For God commanded, saying, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses his father and mother, let him be put to death. That sounds bad, right? But you say, whoever says to his father and mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift from God. Now, here's what was happening. In the law, they were obligated to take care of their parents when they got older. Good news for parents, right? Bad news for children. So what the Pharisees were doing is they were finding a way around that law. And what they did was they said, oh no, all of the money I have in the bank, I'm giving that, I'm designating that over for God. Now they're not giving it away. They're just saying, no, that's God's and so I can live on it, but I can't give it to anybody else because I've already given it to God. So what they were doing was they were trying to find a way about it and Jesus knew. Then he said um, in verse six, then he need not honor his father and mother, thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. I want you to look at that. You've made it of no effect. In other words, the word of God has no force and no power in your life when you put tradition before the word of God. Your tradition is giving up. I just gave it up. That's what tradition means. I give up something to get something else. I give up the word of God so that I can get my tradition, so that I can do what I want to do. And so it goes on here to say, verse 7, now look how politically correct Jesus is, hypocrites. Don't you love that? You imagine some guy walks up to you in church one day, and you, you, know, you kind of think maybe he's a little suspect on his walk with God, and you go, hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. Why are you here? I was uh, pastoring in South Louisiana, and um, there's a, little, a small town. You know, it's one of those kind of ones where you plug in your, li- your razor and the street lights dim. Had one red light, had two stores. And uh, the guy that ran the one little store, his name was Homer. 
And uh, every time I would go fill up my car with gas there, he'd come out and he'd go, Preacher, you know why I don't go to church? And it was always the same thing. Yes, Homer, because the church is full of hypocrites. That's right. Thank you, Homer. I keep filling up. One day, I'm heading down to Baton Rouge, and I'm going to get a new sign for the church. I'm going to pick one out, right? And uh, so I'm filling up my car. He comes out. He goes, Preacher, you know why I don't go to church? And And I go, Yeah, Homer, I do. And you know what? I've been thinking about it. You're exactly right. Church is full of hypocrites. Every one of them, Homer. Even me. And he looked at me with shock in his face. He says, what do you mean? I says, well, a hypocrite is somebody who pretends to be something they're not. I don't know anybody who's not done that. And then I gave him a little study in the Greek language. I said the word hypocrite actually comes from the, its, its origin comes from the, the play where you take a mask, you'd put it on your face so an actor could be a different person on a stage. And they would change sometimes masks multiple times in those early days of drama. I said, let me ask you, Homer, have you ever taken a mask, put it on your face, not really a mask, not literally one, but have you ever kind of pretended to be happy and you're not? I said, you know, there are Christians that come to church and they pretend to be spiritual and they're not. They pretend to love Jesus and they don't. They pretend to be happy and they're not. I said, I don't know anybody who's never done that. I said, the problem is when we can't acknowledge it. So I want to acknowledge you to you today, Homer, I have been a hypocrite before. And I don't want to be, but I found one guy up there who's not. Oh, yeah? Who's that? Jesus. He said, where do you say you're headed, preacher? I said, I'm going down to Baton Rouge to buy a sign. How much is that sign? I said, I don't know, about $8,000. He said, just a minute. He walked into the gas station, came out with a check for $8,000 and handed it to me. He said, I'll be at church Sunday. Now, I want you to ask yourself why. Because finally, he heard somebody who was honest and not religious. People don't want religion. They want honesty. They want Jesus. They want to know the real thing. We hunger for the real thing. And so he says, hypocrites, well did Isaiah say about you with these things? These people draw near to me with their mouth. Oh, I love Jesus. But honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain. You know what vain means? Chasing the wind. Chasing the wind. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandment of men. Now let's talk about when and then. Let's say that together so we don't forget it. Ready? When and then. Okay, Matthew chapter 14, verse 35. When the men of that place recognized him, what happened? His presence was irresistible. When Jesus is in you, you're irresistible. They started bringing to him all the sick. They just uh, touch his garment. Now, remember I told you earlier that was prophetic. In Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2, it says, When the Son of Righteousness comes with healing in his wings. Son of Righteousness is Jesus. It was a promise of the coming Messiah. The wings were not literal wings. A rabbi would wear a prayer shawl. And the back corners of that prayer shawl were called the wings. When they came to touch the hem of his garment, that was called the hem of the garment. 
was the backside of the prayer shawl. Same thing with the woman with the issue of blood who had been sick for so many years. She came and touched the hem of his garment. She touched the wings of his prayer shawl, thus fulfilling the prophecy of Malachi chapter 4, saying when they, when they came and they touched the hem of the garment, they said, we believe you are the Messiah. We believe you are the Son of God. We believe you are the coming one, the Son of righteousness with healing in his wings. So this is not just about some cloth. This is about prophetic fulfillment in Scripture. You know how the Bible says without a vision the people perish? It has nothing to do with goals. It has to do with that revelation that comes from God that gives a vision of where you're supposed to go. When, if you're not hearing from God on a regular basis, if you're not experiencing the very visions of God and the life of God in your daily life, you're going to dry up on the inside. You're not going to be vibrant because you're thinking everything is about goals. We've got to have a bigger goal. Nothing to do with goals. Everything to do with the Spirit of God. See, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.14 that the natural man, the person without Christ, doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God for they're spiritually discerned. But we, the spiritual mind, says that we have the mind of Christ. We can see the things of God in our world. Now when Jesus was, was, can you imagine this scene? They're going out, he's crossing in that wind moment. That wind moment, all of a sudden, here come all these people that are sick. They're just trying to get up close. They're trying to talk to him. They're, 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 they're living without hope, many of them. Human suffering touches us all on different levels, does it not? Is there anybody here who hasn't suffered somehow in your life, physically, mentally, psychologically, spiritually, some other way? And what we do understand when we see it around us, we understand it's either not normal or it's not the way things are supposed to be. Isn't that what's inside of us? Why do they have to get sick? Don't we ask those questions? Why them? So we know that our world is out of balance. There's something wrong with our world. And I think God planted in us that very thing so that we would crave for the kingdom of God. We want God's kingdom to come. We want God's kingdom to begin to work in our midst. Jesus put it like this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Our Father, which art in heaven, right? Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as it is in heaven. Now look at that slide for just a moment. You see I've underlined the words, it is. Those don't appear in the Greek language. Those are added because they think that's going to help you understand it. But if you read it, on earth as in heaven, that's how it literally reads in the Greek text. In other words, on earth, I want the kind of stuff that's in heaven going on on a daily basis. I want you to experience kingdom power, kingdom authority, kingdom stuff every day of your life. Amen? Now, let's go on. Now the then moment. Then. So when, then. Not zen. When and then what? Then. then. Okay, then. Now look what it says. Matthew 15, verses 1 and 2. Then the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem. They're following him around. The religious always are looking for something wrong. You ever been on the workplace, somebody said, hey, I thought you were a Christian. You ever heard that? I didn't know Christians did that. No, when did he become authority for Christianity? He doesn't even know Christ, doesn't believe in it. Now he is an authority. What's he operating from? Religion, not Bible. You see that? 
what you always do in those situations is you ask the Jesus questions. Hey, where did you find that in Scripture? Well, you know, I just heard. Well, I heard a lot of stuff about you too, but I'm not saying it. I'm just saying. Verse, two, verse 1, then the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, why do your, your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? They showed up, they asked the then, why? Because of two things. Number one, the fame of Jesus was spreading, and number two, people were being healed. They didn't like those two things. They don't want Jesus to be popular. They don't want him to be popular. You ever thought about why the Antichrist is called the Antichrist, not the Anti-Jesus? Because there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved in the name of Jesus. Satan doesn't want Jesus' name in anything. He doesn't want you to speak that name. Have you ever noticed how the name of Jesus is the one that we use in cursing? We never say, oh, Buddha, when we hit our thumb with a hammer. Oh, Muhammad, when I hit my thumb with a hammer. Oh, what do I say? I lift up the name of Jesus. And what happens is Satan is bound and determined to take the name of Jesus where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is what? Lord to the glory of God the Father to bring that down. Let me show you something. Christianity is supposed to be really simple. It's really simple. I got to tell you a story. Last week I was up uh, at a conference on healing up at Bethel and I was, uh, Tammy was speaking at the uh, California Women's uh, Convention, so she flew in a, a day later. But I was there on Monday night by myself, and uh, there was about 1,000 people in this room. And as I stood there, uh, the, uh, the guy toward the end, he said, you know, uh, we want you to understand that healing is really not about a divine healer. I mean, it's not about, I mean, about, you know, somebody that just has the gift to heal. We want you to know it's not really about even great faith. We want you to, we just want to illustrate something to you. And so uh, he said, how many of you in this room have floaties in your eyes? Anybody know what that is, what a floaty is? Okay, well, in your eye, there's like sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll get like, like little dots that kind of float around there, you know. And so I went to the doctor a few uh, years ago, and he said, you've got floaties in your right ear. And I go, what's floaty? And he goes, no, you'll get used to them, no big deal, you know. And you're probably going to get more of them, you know. And I'm going, that's encouraging. You'll probably hit the other eye later. That's great. You know, I'm glad I came here. I'm feeling better about myself already. Right? And so, uh, so I'm sitting there going, yeah, I got some floaties in my right eye. You know, but it's, you know, I'm doing the guy thing. You ever done the guy thing? I don't need to go to the doctor. Not that big a deal. Other people have bigger problems than me. Anybody, any guys ever said that? Would you raise your hand if your husband is sitting next to you and he's not raising his hand? Punch him right now. <laughs> so I'm sitting there and I, he said, if you have floaties, just stand up. Just stand up. Well, I'm not going to stand up. There's no way I'm standing up. I got floaties in one eye, it's not a big deal, I'm a man, I can handle it, you know, there's other people with bigger problems, so two rows up in front of me, there's a guy who stands up, I'm thinking, good for that guy, <laughs> right, there's probably 80 to 100 people stand up in this room, so I'm sitting there, and then I didn't, I should have prayed for he hearing, I guess, because I didn't hear the instructions very well, I thought they said, if somebody near you is standing up, go to them and put your hand on them, pray for them, okay, now that's what I thought, thought I heard them say. What they said was to their prayer team, if someone is standing up, you go to them and pray for them. So I got the instructions wrong, so I'm thinking, this poor guy in front of me with the floaties, you know, 
I'm going to stand up and I'm going to reach my hand out as a symbol of faith. I'm not kidding you. It wasn't 30 seconds till I look over and there's this young gal next to me and she looks at me and she goes, can I pray for your floaties? And I'm going, dang, I've been tricked by God. <laughs> been tricked by God right here in church. I go, yeah, that'll be fine. I'm sitting there thinking, I'm just laughing inside, you know. And so then they said, now, now we want you to know, this is, not, this, is, this is not about how righteous you are, how much faith you have. We want you to understand something. And there was a boy in the first or second row, he's about 10 years old, he said, would you come up on the platform? He's looking around like, sure. So he comes up on the platform. And he says, now, we're going to have you pray. These people have floaties in their eyes. And he goes, what are floaties? Right? So he says, well, you know, a little thing. You know, so he's trying to explain it to him. He says, okay. And in your own words, we just want you to pray for their healing. And then the person who's standing next to you, if you, if, if you, with your permission, could they just put their hands on your eyes and, and, uh, and then just repeat whatever the, the 10-year-old boy says? So I'm sitting there thinking, okay, well, you know, let's get this over with. Let's move on so I can learn more about healing. <laughs> is this not how we operate? I mean, seriously, is this not how we operate in our life? So she puts her hands on my eyes. Now, here's the prayer of the 10-year-old boy. Are you ready? You might want to write it down. It's pretty complex. He says, floaties, go. <laughs> the prayer team member standing next to me with, her, with my eyes closed, hands on, repeats it. Floaties, go. Now, I'm thinking the same thing you're thinking right now. This is not going to work. Right? Are you thinking that? So I open my eyes, and I'm going, oh, there's got to be a problem here. These floaties are gone. So every day since then, I get up and I look. I'm trying to find the floaties. Floaties are gone. Amen? And the whole message was this. The whole message in that moment was this. It's not about some great prayer. It's not about some great faith. In fact, Jesus never commended anyone's faith until after they were healed. Have you ever noticed that? It wasn't about their righteousness. If you look in the life of most of them, most of them hadn't even made it some decision for Christ. Most of them hadn't, hadn't you know, even done anything, I mean, to, to demonstrate that they were a believer or a follower rather than just kind of show up because they were hurting. And I look at this and I, and I thought, you know, the, the church, we, the church, are to be the dispenser of grace and love. Religion is the dispenser of law and rules. We have to come back to that. I want to show you something in Colossians chapter 2 and verses 16 and 17. It's, uh, it's kind of one of those uh, great scriptures. It says this, so let no one act as your judge in food or drink regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Now, why? Okay, now, all those are Jewish things. The Jewish had laws that said when you eat and what you eat and what you drink and when you drink. They had festivals. They had holidays called new moons, and they had Sabbath days, which are Saturdays. Okay? But look what it says about them. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So here's what it's saying. Everything in the Old Testament was pointing you to Jesus. It was a shadow. 
If I look down right here and I see a shadow of myself, all I can tell when I look down and see that shadow of me is I'm about 220 pounds of twisted steel. I'm just kind of let it let you enjoy it. Some of you haven't got it yet. Got it? Okay. All I can really tell is there's just a shadow there. There's a frame. There's, a, there's what looks like a human body. In the Old Testament, when you read stuff, you know God's saying something and God's doing something. There's a message there, but you can't tell it all. And so what the New Testament does says it defines what that shadow is. That shadow is Jesus. Everything is pointing you back to Jesus. So these are only a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You know what people really want? They want to know, how do I simplify my life? Would you like to have that? I'm going to show you how to simplify three areas of your life. Your life, your relationships, and your future. You ready? Okay. It is simply get up every day and say, Jesus, would you guide me? Would you bring things and people into my path today that are going to help me in my life, in my relationships, and to understand my future? Would you bring people into my life that are going to help me to understand my life, my relationships, and my future? Now that sounds too simple. You want something complicated because you want religion. This is simply about a relationship with a man, the man, Christ Jesus, who is fully God and fully man. Here's how Jesus reduced it down. When the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to him, he, they said, what's the great commandment? And, he, and they were trying to trick him, and here's what he said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know what he said? He said, if I love God with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, all my strength, and I love my neighbor as myself, I'll never sin. I didn't say we can be sinless. What I said is, every time we sin, every time we get away from God, it's because we stop loving God with all of our heart, our mind, and our soul, and our strength, and we stop loving our neighbors, ourself. You want, you want to get it down to just 101 basic stuff? Love God, love man. Love God, love man. When you find yourself in a situation where you're mad at somebody, love God, love man. When you get frustrated, love God, love man. Say it with me. Love God, love man. It's really simple. When people start throwing religion on you, you just go, love God, love man. Love God, love man. Am I loving God with all my heart, my mind, my soul, my strength? Is that what I'm doing? And then what you want to do is you want to start redefining normal in your life. Let's redefine normal. Lazarus is dead. Jesus Christ looks to his, uh, his sister and here's what he says. Did I not say unto you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? How many of you want to see the glory of God? Okay, most of you. Let's try it one more time. This is a, this is, remember, this is keep the crowd alert. How many of you want to see the glory of God? Raise your hand. Keep it up. 
If you would believe, you would see the glory of God. You can put your hands down. Thank you very much. How does your faith grow? Your faith grows not because, you know, you've got this great capacity. Everyone is given a measure of faith. It's not about big faith. It's about a big God. It's about having a big God. Let God be big in your life. It's not about his willingness, but about his goodness and love. It's about the character of God showing up in your life. Answers in your life must be bigger than your problems or you don't have a big God. Let me say that again. Answers in your life must be bigger than your problems or you don't have a big God. The kingdom in you begins to shape the world around you when you walk by faith. Let me say that again. The kingdom in you, God's kingdom in you, will begin to shape the world around you as you walk in faith. You begin to really carry out your destiny as a child of God, as a son and a daughter of the living God. That's what God wants to do in you, and that's what God wants to do through you. Let me give you a couple of life applications. Here's the first one. The path of joy is simple. Here's what Jesus said. My joy do I give unto you. That's pretty simple. It doesn't say when circumstances all work out in your favor, you get to be joyful. No, he said, my joy do I give unto you that your joy might be made full. Not the joy that the world gives. You know the joy the world gives? If everything goes right, I have joy. If everybody likes me, I have joy. If I never get sick, I have joy. If I never have a challenge, I have joy. Jesus said, no, my joy, the Jesus joy, I give unto you that your joy might be made full. The path to joy is simple. Also, childlike faith moves mountains don't have to have big faith. You just have to have a big God. Let God be bigger in your life than he is right now. It might be a simple prayer like this. God, would you be bigger in my life this morning than you ever have been before? I just want to, I want you to elevate in my mind in greatness, in power, in wisdom, in every other way. We sing a song here called Align. And it's the whole idea of I'm going to align my heart with your perfect will. You know what the will of God is for every one of us? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in where? We just got to get heaven down here. Amen? I mean, why don't we want that? Amen? So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to all stand right now. Okay, some of you didn't do it right now. Some of you waited. I'm not standing yet. This is what I'm going to do. As we worship today, I'm going to invite you to do something. I'm going to invite you to come to the front, just gather around this stage today and, and just worship here up close and personal. I'm going to invite you to go to the cross. If you have a prayer request, there'll be a prayer team there who can pray with you. But let's... Let's be just a little bit on the Jesus fanatical side today. Amen? Amen? Now, you just kind of push yourself out of a comfort zone. You say, well, I don't really have to do that. I don't have to go to the front to worship, do I? No. No, you don't. But you might like it.
might feel kind of good. Rub shoulders with some other people. I don't have to raise my hand to it. No. But you might like it. If you're just a beginner and you want to start, just go like this. <laughs> just get it up about that high. You know, you don't have, you know, you, what do I have to? No, you get it down here like this. <laughs> or you can just raise it right up, right? Do I have to? No. Not at all. You don't have to do anything. You get to. You get to follow God. You get to follow Jesus. You get to have the joy of the Lord in your heart, in your life. Amen? So we're just going to spend a few minutes here and just worship Him. If today you uh, are uncertain about your eternal future, your destiny, can I say that Jesus, who loves you, regardless what you've done, regardless what you've thought, is speaking right now tenderly to your heart. He's saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man would just open that door, I would come into him and fellowship with him. Would you open the door of your heart this morning?